When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. First of all, a garden, it's not. It's a train station, really. One flight up and you're on the fabled parquet floor. Now, before you get all misty-eyed about the parquet, take a closer look. Bleep you, this is, this is our way. Yes, loud. Stevens is pretty smart and knows what he's doing. That 3 and D roll. Go, oh, it's the T-League! If I had uh, Antoine Walker's body, I'd be an all-star. <laughs> Hello, everybody. It's Bobby Manning here, Celtics blog, CLNS Media. We are back for number 10. That's right, 10 episodes into September of the Banners broadcast. Welcome back. Thank you, everyone who has been with us so far. It's been an absolute blast trying to just usher out the offseason. And luckily for us... Today we learned training camp going to be getting started in just over 10 days. Media day is 10 days from today, September 25th. So it's here. We are ready for this season. The Celtics are going to be headed down to Rhode Island for their team trip. And what better way to end out the offseason? This is pretty much our last episode of the offseason than to finalize our player previews. And I am not going to do it alone. As always, we got a good force from the Celtics blog team here with us today. Alex Kungu, you know him well already. He's been on this program before. But we got a new face as well. Andrew Doxey, the newest writer for Celtics blog. We got a new pair of writers over at Celtics blog. Also, a departure that's going to be coming soon, but we're not going to talk about that today. Andrew Doxey and... Welcome aboard, man. That's all I got to say. We're excited to have you. I've been following you for a little while, so I got to give you the good welcome to start off the show. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. Happy to be here. And with that, we're going to swing it right back to Alex to get this thing started because Alex is going to bring some expertise to the table on this first guy. We have to talk about this five guys left. We've been through the first, I want to say... Nine or ten guys on the roster, so we got about five left, and we're going to start with a guy I think you've heard of, Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving is the new one, if not one A on this team. We've kind of gone back and forth talking about what that complexion is going to be like, but you broke down his fit with the Celtics, Alex, so I'm going to just hand the microphone to you and give us an idea of what Kyrie Irving, Celtics Kyrie Irving is going to be like. Uh, yeah, so the big thing with Kyrie Irving is always going to be how his skills actually impact winning. So what he does on the court, is that going to help a team more or is it going to hurt a team? Um, in Cleveland, what the impression was, was that even though he had a great offensive game, he was a great scorer, um, when he was one on the court without LeBron, the team didn't do as well. And that was taken to mean that he didn't impact winning as well as he should have. So one thing that people forget in that argument is that when he's not playing with LeBron, who is he actually playing with? And when, when you're playing in Cleveland, 
you're playing with a team that's built for LeBron. So if you're playing on a team that's built for LeBron and you're playing without him, how are you supposed to be good? That's not an environment that's conducive to him being at his best. So what I argue here is that I think that in Boston, he can actually impact winning, and it's not going to come by making any drastic changes. It's more so that in a system that's more about the team, more about ball movement, more about off-ball movements, cuts, and a lot of passes, um, I think what you'll see is that we'll make it easier for Kyrie to be Kyrie, and we'll open different avenues of his game that we just haven't seen from him. So that's where I'm kind of in with him. Yeah, from a statistics perspective, you really got to look at the isolations. And there's been a big debate about the isolations. Some people seem to think it's a product of Kyrie himself kind of taking the initiative on the court to just spot up on his guy one-on-one. Other people think just kind of a system thing, a very loose system out there in Cleveland. Kind of just do as you please. Whatever happens goes. Like They've been through two coaches out there, three coaches if you're going back through Kyrie's full tenure there. And it's kind of been ups and downs from a system perspective in Cleveland. And Boston, we know what it's all about now. It's pace and space. It's high ball movement that's developed over the years now. But I'm very interested to see, and I don't know what your thoughts on this, Andrew, is the system going to adapt to Kyrie's strengths or is Kyrie going to have to adapt to the system itself? Because we've seen a little bit of both with players who have come through here at this point. I think the the system is going to adapt to Kyrie just because if you've seen how Brad Stevens has coached the last couple of years, you've seen that he maximizes the strength of the guys on the roster. Like Evan Turner, uh, Jordan Crawford, all these guys came into Boston um, with people being super low on them. And then they came out of Boston with uh, like a rejuvenated career because of the way that he tailored the system around them. So, for example, Evan Turner is a really good mid-range shooter. So Brad Stevens made sure to run a couple sets a game, having him handle the ball and having him get those shots that he's comfortable with, as opposed to trying to fit him into a system where he's off ball. Cause he's really, he's a big point guard. He's not. Mm-hmm. Um, so with Kyrie, I think Stevens is going to look at all of his strengths and see what he does well and, and put him in those positions. Obviously he's a good ISO player. I don't see Boston turning into ISO heavy offense, but I think they will run some sets where after some movement, they'll try to either get a good mismatch or, or have him in a good position with the other four shooters on the other side of the court. And then also, I think something that they will change in Kyrie's game is they might have him, I think Zach Lowe touched on this in an article a couple weeks ago, instead of having him come off of pin downs and dribble into a mid-range shot, having him come off the curl and shooting threes. Because he could take more threes, and that might elevate his scoring a bit more. So that that's the big change that I see uh, in Kyrie's game. But for the most part, I think Brad's going to adapt the system to adjust to him and Gordon Hayward coming in. As, to make sure that they're as efficient as possible. I haven't been the biggest Kyrie Irving guy throughout my time watching the league. It just, you know, the defense bothers me. At times, the passing bothers Like, there were just little things about his game that irritated me. But, you know, now that it's reality, now that he is the guy here, taking a closer look at his game, I was pleasantly surprised at his pick-and-roll prowess. And it's going to be interesting because he's a different player than Isaiah but it's kind of interesting to look at some of the parallels of their game as well. Like They were both very high in the league when it came to 
points per possession on the pick and roll, being the ball handler there. You saw again and again throughout the tape, Kyrie just shoveling off to his guys on the cut, in the paint, on his drives. Like He is able to really break down the defense when it comes to his handles. They're the best handles I've ever seen, bar none. His finishing ability is off the charts. Like There's just no way to describe his finishing ability. The way he rolls it off the backboard is just absurd. And so those things make you really excited to watch this guy in green. Like, as much distaste as I've had for him in the past, like, it's, it's starting to get exciting for me. But there are legitimate holes in this guy's game that kind of have held him back. And he's only 25. I'm not going to come down too hard on him. There's still a lot of room to grow. But, Alex, you've definitely watched a lot of Kyrie tape at this point. If there's one thing that concerns you about his game when it comes to being the man, because that's why we got to treat him now, he's the number one, if not 1A guy on this roster. Where does he need to advance the most, and do you see him advancing in that area? Um, yeah, I think for me the one question that's going to be Kyrie because I don't really worry about the offense as much. I think he's an offensive monster, and I think he wanted to be in a system that's going to – bring out the best of him in all different phases. So I'm not wor- as worried as much as others about the offensive uh, difference, like the offensive lead. My biggest concern would mostly be on the defensive end. Um, unlike Isaiah Thomas, he obviously doesn't have that height deficiency where he just can't play, but there is a question of effort. And I don't know if it's because Cleveland as a whole was a bad defensive team, but the numbers show that he has never been a good defensive player and though he's had times where he's tried like in big matchups he'll do it kind of like rondo um i question if you're going to be like the leader of this team if you're going to be the head of the defense because you're going to be the one taking the point guard if you start taking plays off on a new team with a whole new roster is are you setting that tone as a culture because we can say whatever we want about Isaiah Thomas' defense, but he tried. He fought over screens. He contested shots as well as he could. And that does set the tone. That does let other people know you're good on the team. You're still going hard, even with your offensive load. So my thing is going to be, is Kyrie actually going to commit to that end? Or is he just going to take the offense and just let and just let his team kind of cover for him on defensive end? Defense is an interesting conversation with this team because it's... It really doesn't like seem to be answered in the way they built this roster. There's a lot of question marks up and down when it comes to lineups, when it comes to personnel about defense here. And one guy you do not have to worry about when it comes to defense is Marcus freaking smart <laughs> as, my, That's my guy. as my friend as my friend Sam Sheehan would call him. I think I'm allowed to say that on here. He is a monster on the defensive end, and we can go back and forth all day long about who's better, him or Avery Bradley, who's out the door now. I think it's different, and I think the way Smart's different in defense really suits this era. It's a heavy pick-and-roll era. You really have to fight through screens if you're going to be chasing people off the three-point line because everyone's shooting the three nowadays, and no one is as advanced at that as Smart. But the big question going in is how to utilize him, and... It's interesting because Alex brought up the culture question. they got to establish a new culture. I find that as important as anyone. Like you really got to set your identity as a team, especially if you're going to be a championship team. We've seen some enormously talented teams just fizzle out because, you know, who were they at the end of the day? The Houston Rockets last year. I'd say that about them. Like talented up and down the board, but who really were they at the end of the day? That's, that's something that never really got answered on that front. 
I'm a big proponent of starting Marcus Smart, and we're going to kind of have an open conversation about him, Jalen Brown, what better suits both of them, because they're both developing, they're both young in their careers, and I think they'd both benefit from being a part of the starting lineup. But the big question is, what benefits the team more? Because they're chasing a championship, if not this year, the next year. They're really rebuilding their image on the fly with only four guys coming back. So I say, what better way to reestablish themselves than the most intense guy on the team, the guy who's going to make a statement on defense, and the guy who's been here the longest at this point, surprisingly. (laughs) And uh, it's hard to imagine that at this point. But, Doxie, I bet you agree with me. What's what are some of the pros and cons of Smart in the starting lineup? I know, good good force on the bench. That's a consideration as well. But who, where are you on Smart at this point? All right, let me stretch a little bit and get ready to, <laughs> to attack this question. Uh, you're probably going to need to cut me off here, but all right. So I'm a very big proponent of starting Marcus Smart because um, if you look at it, with all the holes that this team has, Smart fills more holes than Jalen Brown does. So Jalen Brown. Uh, shot a lot better than he did um, that we expected him to last season. Mm-hmm. And he was a decent defender, right? So that's two things that I clearly see that he um, impacts the starting lineup. With Smart, you get defense, you get pick-and-roll offense, you get post-offense, you get um, you allow Gordon Hayward and Kyrie Irving both to be off-ball. You have pick-and-rolls with, um, with Al Horford, you have pick-and-roll defense. So I feel like when you have Marcus Smart, who, by the way, he's he's two years older. He's he's earned the starting spot more than than Jalen Brown has. Yeah. If you want from that from that uh, angle, but when it comes to what the team needs, I think that I mean obviously you want Jalen Brown to develop and you want him to be a star. And I think by the end of the year he probably will start. But when it comes down to to what the team needs and how the team wants to approach starting the games, I think Smart is the best way to go. Um, and and we saw how important starting um, starting off to you know, good starts against good teams was in the playoffs because we struggled against the Bulls with our starting lineup. Even against the Wizards in those first two games, we got off to really bad starts. So I think that, you know, in the regular season, you can kind of get away with that a little bit and you can kind of find yourself. But I think that as a team that, that you know, this team has championship aspirations. So I, I don't think that you can really experiment with that too much when you want to establish an identity, like you were saying. So I think that, you know, right off the bat, October 17th against the Cleveland Cavaliers, the Celtics should start Marcus Smart, and they should ride with that for a little bit. It's going to be crazy. If Isaiah plays opening night, how wild is that going to be, watching Smart guard uh, Isaiah on the Cleveland? It's still hard to put that through our brains, that that's where these two teams are sitting at, but that's where we are. And uh, my concern, and I'm going to throw this to Alex, is the bench at that point. I talked about it a little bit with Jeff last week. I, we hit on Terry Roger in last week's edition of Player Previews. You can check that out on iTunes and YouTube. We are all concerned, I think, about the lack of creation that sits on the bench if Smart's not there. Like, that was kind of his niche on this team last year, it felt like, was he really progressed as a passer, and everybody benefited on that bench unit. It felt like a force for them throughout the playoffs. They were able to really beat up on Chicago's second unit, Washington's second unit, and, you know, that stuff matters to a varying degree, but you don't want your bench to be a wash, and... Terry Roger has kind of been unproven as a facilitator at this point, as a ball handler. He's still young himself. So you're kind of putting a lot on him if you're moving Smart up to that starting lineup. Are you concerned about the bench at all if they do go the Smart route on offense, Alex? Uh, yeah, I mean, that is a big concern. I am not a very big proponent of Terry Rozier. 
Um, I trust. I think he can develop as a shooter and a finisher. I do not trust his playmaking ability at all, and it would scare me to death if we had second units relying on him being a playmaker. Um, with that being said, though, we can stagger minutes. Mm-hmm. I would say, and I think, and I think if Smart is a starter, I think what you'll see is either him or Kyrie get a quick hook after six minutes, and then they funnel them in, and they don't just go straight hockey lineups with like the starting and the bench. They just yeah. have they continue to have a mix of people, because. Um, this team, our best playmakers are, are going to be Kyrie Irving, Gordon Hayward, Al Horford, and then Marcus Smart. So you, I think the best thing to do is to continue to mix them in with lineups instead of going full second unit lineups, and that would be the way. But I also don't think Marcus Smart should start, but that's a whole different <laughs> question. <laughs> so <laughs> so why, why is that? Let's hear, let's hear it. Yeah, so for me, I don't. When I say Marcus Smart should start, it's, it has nothing to do with Marcus Smart. What I think it is is um, his development personally. I think in Boston, he's never been kind of – people haven't really been thinking of him as being a developer, like him actually developing to what he can be at the best. It's always kind of been like fill, he's filling in someone's holes, whether that was Evan Turner coming in and him having to get moved off ball. And then now we would be bringing him in for defense purposes, but not because of what he can do. Because what I think would be best for him is coming off the bench and being able to lead a second unit. Because yep. our, star, our, our, our starting lineup right now has three of our best playmakers, three guys that you want initiating the offense at all times. Um, that would mean that for the most part, Smart would essentially be a guy that's being a spot-up guy, a guy that's like you're playing D and then you're spot and then you're defending the one at most of the times. And can he do that? And can he probably do it better? I think so. But what does that mean for the second unit for one, as we touched on? And then yeah. also, are we giving him enough opportunity to grow and continue to grow as a playmaker if he's in lineups where he's not being able to playmake to his best ability? I think that starting lineup definitely needs more of spot-up shooting, and I think Jalen Brown fits that role a little bit better than Marcus does. And let's think about where this team's gearing towards. They're gearing toward the future in some way. You know, they're going to be in win-now mode this year, but to some degree, the development of Jalen Brown, who we're going to hit on, and Jason Tatum, who we have already, is really important. It's crucial, and you want to put those guys in the best position to succeed, and I think Smart on the bench is going to be a help to whoever else is coming off the bench. You know, Semi Ojale entering his first year. Um, Jason Tatum's certainly going to be a bench guy. I'll give Andrew the opportunity to respond to that because, you know, you're, you're fully pro-Smart on the starting lineup, I don't no know. There's, there's, it really goes both ways for me. I'm really conflicted right here. Like, what is your vision of like what is he going to give them in the starting lineup that makes you want him to be there above all else? All right. So my thing with Smart is that if you keep him on the bench, what are you developing him to be? Yeah. Because Kyrie is going to be here for a while, right? So Smart is never going to be the lead point guard for the Boston Celtics, right? So I think that playing. Again, like I touched on earlier, playing with Smart, you open up the offense to to use Gordon Hayward and use Kyrie Irving off ball. And then that way, like you said, because I, I agree with Alex on the fact that we should stagger lineups instead of having starting lineup at bench, right? Because mm-hmm. Gordon Hayward can run with the bench and Marcus Smart can it's run with the bench. beautiful how many ball handlers are on this roster. And even Horford, right? Yeah. So I think that hey, when you have Smart, because like I said, we, we, we have to look at the game as like, it's not like, you know, you have what, like Kyrie Irving's going to be on the floor at the same time as Smart and 
for every possession, Kyrie Irving's going to be running point. Like, that's not how, you know, even with Avery Bradley, Avery Bradley would, you know, be the primary ball handler for some sets, even with Isaiah on the court, even though it didn't, you know, he's not a great passer, but that was just what the set mandated. Yep. So I think if you have a proper balance between Smart and Kyrie, um, and also that helps Smart's development too, because he really needs to work on finishing at the rim. Yeah. So when you, I, that's my biggest thing. I don't even care about the shooting. I, yeah. I want Smart to be able to finish at the rim. And it looks and he, like he has the tools to do that. Like you see him again and again get right to the point in the paint where you see guys finish, and he dishes yeah. it out well from there. But again and again, we'd see him dish it out instead of really go for a strong finish, which would make him a better scorer. Yeah, absolutely. So I, like for me, like the shooting's not even a big deal. But you have. Um, smart because if you know he can be he can work on his cutting cutting to the rim like avery bradley did he can uh run pick and rolls with al horford and and i feel like that's even better for his development than playing against bench players because because we saw him in that role last year and and even not as much as i would have liked to because i think brad was experimenting with having terry rozier run point a lot of times in the in the regular season but when the games mattered smart was the primary ball handler off the bench but if you put smart on the bench you, I feel like you're limiting his development and you're you know, putting him into that hole where he's going to be for the rest of his career. Mm-hmm. But if you allow Marcus Smart the opportunity to start now at shooting guard and learn how to play with a ball-dominant point guard and allowing him to, to allow Kyrie to run off the ball, you have a, a more versatile offense to run with. And, and when you have a versatile offense, you, 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 will, you will confuse defenses by, you know, okay, this possession we're going to go with Gordon Hayward pick and roll. This possession we're going to go with Gordon Hayward and Kyrie running off pin downs. With this possession we're going to go with Al Horford post-up, now Smart post-up, right? So you can run all these in a row. Yeah. With Jalen Brown, you just have him sitting in a corner, or you have them cutting to the basket, and it, 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 I feel like that limits your offense. But here's my thing. I also value the development of Jalen Brown. Good so point. I feel like if you, by the end of the season, right, so like February, March, if you really want to go in with your five best players, we could see, uh, and, and this is why I'm really happy that Gordon Hayward's been training in the OJLA factory this summer. <laughs> it's looking pretty swole out there. Yeah. Um, could, you could run Kyrie Irving, Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, Gordon Hayward, Al Horford, if you want to go super small and punt rebounding. But then again, you have Smart, who's an excellent rebounder for a guard. But, yeah, for me to start the season, it's going to be Smart. But like I said, I'm I'm open to Jalen. You know, and that's another thing. If the bench doesn't work out, as I picture it happening with Larkin and Rozier, um, running the bench unit, then, you know, it's fine. We'll, you, could we'll definitely, you could definitely see the starting lineup changing quite a bit depending on matchups. This, like, it's really open for discussion what's going to be the strength of this team when it comes to lineups. It's a fascinating – it's going to be maybe the number one thing to look for this year is what lineups work out best with all the pieces they have right here. All right, who said it? Last week, told you go Buccaneers strong. Jameis Winston, Mike Evans, the defense – and they produced this week strong points across the board from the Buccaneers. And if you didn't get in this week, there's still a chance next week. Another round of games coming up on FanDuel. I've been telling you about FanDuel for a month now, and it is a fun, fun experience. If you're not that into football, if your team's not doing that good, if you're a Jets fan, and they just got smoked by Marshawn Lynch dancing on the sideline there, well, you can still find some fun in this NFL season, and it's easy to do so. I have been 
playing the last few weeks. And with FanDuel, it's not the same as your regular fantasy football league. You're able to draft a new team every week. Injuries be damned. You are still going to be in the game every single week. New team every week's a clean slate. Didn't do so well last week. Well, I'm going to get you set up to do well with FanDuel this week because we have a special offer here for you. If you're a Banish Broadcast listener, you can become one of the two and a half million players who have won a cash prize playing fantasy sports on FanDuel. You can sign up today and join now at FanDuel.com. Use my code BANNER18. It's free. No deposit required. All you gotta do is visit FanDuel.com to claim your free contest and play for a share $10,000. Sign up using the BANNER18 promo code. That's BANNER18 on FanDuel.com. Board were prohibited. Get in the game. We'll even be setting up a league for this weekend. I'll be getting on that ASAP, so stay tuned for that. We can go head-to-head. Let's do it. FanDuel. Banish broadcast. Back to the show. Jalen Brown's the intriguing question because it's year two for him. We all have such massive expectations for him. And if he's going to be the focal point on this franchise one day, like we all hope he can be, you got to start pushing him in that direction a little bit, which is where I think there's a good case to start him. Yeah, he thrived in the starting lineup last year when he had to step up there and get his opportunities playing behind some of the better players on the roster. It's not about who starts the game. It's about who finishes the game, of course. But, you know, there's something to be said about, you know, who's in that position, how are they starting these games, and what start are they getting off to on an individual and team basis. And Jalen's intriguing. Like, I really don't know what to expect out of him this year. I really struggle to see, like, you know, what, what, what should they get out of Jalen Brown when it comes to winning now? Because there's a long road ahead of him to develop into the superstar. We still see the ball handling issues. We still see, you know, some of the decision-making out there is spotty at times. But we also see the crazy athletic plays, the good shooting form, much better than I thought shooting form watching the tape on him from last year. He was a pretty good shooter from three, 33%, hit his spots in the corners, very good three-point shooter in the corners. And so, you know, he's come a long way from where they drafted him, but there's still some room to, left to grow. What are your expectations of Brown this year, Alex? Yeah, so for Jalen Brown, the things I'm looking for are, one, what Brad Stevens says is he's he's expecting him to really take a notch up on defense. Um, yes. Even in the summer league, they had him defending uh, more uh, traditional ball handlers, and I think that's kind of a prelude to what we're going to see in the regular season where I think they want him to kind of be playing more of, like, the off-guard role and defending more of those, like, shiftier wings. So for there, I want to see him actually be able to do that at, a, at at least an average level and I also want to see him at least shoot um, league average from three, which league average is about like 36%. So if he's giving you 36% and he's defending well and switching, again, I think that makes for a good starter. One, because you're surrounding Kyrie with people that are six, seven, and up at our burst till defenders. Two, when you're looking at the starting lineup, not only is Kyrie Irving going to be a ball handler, but as we know, also Al Horford and Gordon Hayward. So if you have those three running the offense, which you kind of want around them as guys who are able to space the floor. So if he can shoot the ball, then also defend on the other end, um, he makes for a very solid wing, at least now. I wouldn't expect too much in the realm of ball handling, advanced yeah. passing, stuff like that. That's just not there, and you can even see it in the summer league. It's not coming from this year. But if he can at least just kind of become a 3-and-D guy, 
um, I could see him like really making a good jump for this team. I think that that skill set has a very high impact for what the Celtics need. Yeah, and they do need a guy to step up and fulfill that role. As much as people don't want to talk about it, Jay Crowder was a stud in that role, especially last year through the regular season. You didn't have to worry about a guy in that role. He was always steady on defense, shot the three extraordinary well. It's crazy. Like 40% from three is probably like good now. Like you look at that, you're like, oh, that's pretty good. <laughs> and you got to get like. 45, 44 to be like a lead. Like it just the mark keeps going up in that department. Jalen Brown defense. I think that's a good point because a lot of people kind of have this set mo- mo- notion in their mind about Jalen as this good defender. I love his tools. I love his physique, and I think he really has all the things he needs to be a good defender down the line. But it was kind of streaky last year. He, we had those moments that stuck out against a guy like LeBron that I think really boosted his defensive like image in people's mind. But there was a lot of times he was jumping on pump fakes. He was you know, getting stuck between three. Like, there was mixed signals from the defensive end on him last year. And I think that's going to be important if he does start is take advantage of his defense. Really push that to be the number one pro in his game right now. I don't know. What do you think, Andrew? What do you look at in his game that you want to see be the greatest strength in whatever lineup they're using in a man? I I would like to see his ball handling the most improve because I think with, you know, with defense, if you're in a good system, anybody can, can really pass. Um, and I think that Brad has established a really good, uh, not that I don't want to see him improve his defense, but I feel like that that's not his priority because we saw that. Kelly you know, with, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's funny how he's, like, one of the greatest positional defenders in the NBA, even though he's, like, a terrible defender. <laughs> um, but with, with Brown, and, and that's another reason why I feel like it would it, it's not, it wouldn't necessarily hinder Brown's development to come off the bench, because if, if there's less ball handling on the bench, you know, the team might suffer a little bit, but if you give Brown those reps, it, it would enhance his ball handling in the long run to be able to, to you know, facilitate the offense through him and Tatum and whatnot, having the two of them play together a lot. Um, and, I, you know, I, I love that pairing, and I want to see them play together as much as, as, as possible. Um, but, you know, having uh, having Brown really attack bench units and being able to feast against them and, and, and try to, faci- you know, facilitate his, his creation uh, on ball is, is a priority for me, especially because, you know, for me, I don't feel like Gordon Hayward's really here long term. I don't see him signing another contract after. I don't know. It's just my thing, yeah. especially <laughs> – we're getting, you know, cause, little, cause, we're getting a little far ahead of ourselves there, You know what I mean? Like, I feel like that's there's a conflict that you could conceivably play all three, but some, somebody's got somebody's going to get left out. So I feel like having Brown develop as much playmaking ability as he can now is a good idea. And, you know, that's just my thing. Ball time's going to be interesting on this team. I, you would think Kyrie's going to be number one in that department, but to what degree does Smart leak in on that? Because I think facilitation-wise, Smart really gives them a run for his money on that end, you know, especially with what we saw last year. Like, there's going to be a lot of ball movement on this team between the different facilitators. Hayward, underrated aspect of his game is how ball-dominant he was in Utah, how often he ran the pick-and-roll there as the ball handler in that uh, play type 
But it's going to be interesting. You know, you even got Horford in that department. There's going to be a lot of guys touching the ball here. And that's a good point, Andrew. You know, where does Jalen fall in ball time? Like, there's, like Alex said, there's not going to be a whole lot of pressure for him in that aspect of his game to perform right now. But then at what point do you push him to be that ball handler? Because the great players in this league are ball handlers, whether it's Jimmy Butler, whether it's LeBron, whether it's anyone else. They're on the ball. They're making plays for themselves and others. And that's probably the weakest part of Jalen Brown's game right now. So at some point, he's going to have to make the push there. But it doesn't seem like it's going to be right now. Speaking of ball handlers, a guy a lot of people forget is here. Kind of a little reclamation project is Shane Larkin. Brought on after all the roster moves were done. And then the next round of roster moves came, and he's still here. So it's interesting to see. It's not really a certainty in whether who will be on the team at this point or not. But when it comes to the four Stevens positions, you only really got Kyrie, Smart, Roger, and Shane Larkin at that you know prototypical point guard position. So there is some room for him here, I think. But he hasn't been able to stick on, whether it was the Knicks, whether it was you know anywhere else right out of Florida. He didn't stick. The Nets as well, I think he played a little bit there. But I watched some tape of him, looked over the numbers, college and pros, watched some of his overseas tape from last year. This guy's a good pick-and-roll player, you know, like that's an aspect of the game he really hones in on, and he does it decently well. He's a good spot-up shooter. He can really move around the picks and shoot. He can dish down low. The guys, a guy he really reminds me of, who we all hold well in our hearts, is Phil Pressey, who was here a couple years ago, and you know, Pressey... They didn't always call on him, but when they needed him, he was able to make plays for them. So I think there is room for Larkin here. What do you think, Alex? Uh, yeah, so Shane Larkin, for one, um, if we're playing him, just to put that out there, Terry Rozier fizzled out or someone got injured. If he's on the court, one of those things had to have happened. Um, I do think he's here in a reserve role. Saying that, though, um, I did also look over tape like you, Bobby, and something I noticed is that um, – he is, he is pretty athletic. He looks like he's a little bit more explosive than what I remember him in Brooklyn. Yeah. Um, his shooting, even when he was in the league, was about league average from three specifically. So what's going to happen to me, for me, what I think is going to determine his play time is um, what he can bring on defensive ends a little bit. Um, he, does, he doesn't have to be anything crazy, but if he can hold his own, at least in second units at 5'11", um, I think there's a potential that he could sneak on and get some minutes. Um, he does like someone who I would trust to run like a second unit offense, maybe in Geno time, but I mean, it could get better. <laughs> I, but yeah, like my opinion can change on this, but as of right now, um, I would say he has potential to potentially be another ball handler, but as of right now, let's just see. Cause I do see him as more of like a reserve than someone who's actually going to have a real rotation. Yeah, um, and, and it's good because there are pieces on this team, it feels like, for them to be able to rest guys, for them to be able to sustain injuries. And he's important in that department if one of those primary point guards goes down. It looks like he can come in and be the guy on the bench in that scenario. What do you think of Lark and Doxy? How much have you watched him over the years? I, I actually watched him a lot um, when he was at U the University of Miami. Um, Florida. Was it? Yeah, I'm, Florida. I'm I think so. Let me let me double check on that later. But, um, yeah, he I watched him a lot in college. That's the point. Um, and he he uh, he was explosive, and that, and I agree with that on the athletic take. I think I wouldn't necessarily say that him being on the court means that Rosier fizzled out, but I think what it 
would more signify is that Rozier failed as a, as a point guard. Yeah. Um, I feel like, because like you said, Rozier's a, a shooter. He needs to improve on his finishing ability, but he's a terrible point guard. Like, I, I just want to say that right now. He's, he's a terrible point guard. He's one of those he dribble dribble. at one speed. That's what Jeff yeah. said last week. <laughs> yeah, he cannot change speeds for the life of him. You know, it's, it's always either, you know, zero or, or 60. There's no, there's no in between. So I think that, and, and I have, I have, I don't have a lot of, I'm not really a big Rozier fan either. And I think that he's hindered Marcus Smart's development as well, uh, just because of that experiment that Brad was running. Yeah. Um, but I, I mean, I I think he could become a ball handler. Um, but if not, then for me, I would I would try having Larkin at the one and then Rosie at the two, which is super undersized. But I don't know how many bench units in the NBA can really take advantage of that on other teams. Um, when you have Brown and and Tatum and that, but that's still going really small. Yeah. Um, By the way, so, you were right, Miami. I'm fired. You're in. <laughs> you were right on that one. Hey, I'm coming for your job, man. <laughs> no, I'm just like, um, yeah. So I mean, I I think that we, it's funny because we we like to make the Phil Preston um, comparison because he's short and, and he's a point guard, you know, explosive. But he he actually plays like Phil Preston. Like yeah. that's not. I wouldn't say it's a lazy comparison because it's actually you know in play style too. So um, I think, were- but. They were compared to come out of the draft, too. I think they were both in the same draft class. It was, like, interesting. Yeah. yeah. So I I think – but I, I would rather not see him because that would mean that Rozier does develop as a point guard, which means that Smart can start, which is my biggest thing. So well, you know. we, we, we all know if there's a lack of Rozier minutes, Danny Ainge is going to be coming down from the box to oh, yeah. talk to Brad. <laughs> Listen, Brad, we got to have a conversation. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. Like, there's all those Rozier jokes online, but think of all the bodies that moved in and out of the roster this year, guys we never would have imagined being gone. Yeah. But at the end of all the shifting, Rozier is still – here yeah. <laughs> it's funny how that worked out so last guy we got to talk to in this player preview series probably the last guy to make the roster was kadeem allen we'll just make this a main conversation because that's kind of what we did with the other d-league guy the two-way contract and jabari bird main's gonna be fun this year it feels like there's gonna be a intriguing cast of characters down there, whether it's Bird, whether it's Allen, whether any of the other young guys see time down there. And I don't know, the D-League as a whole, has it finally reached the point where you feel like this is going to be a good place for the Celtics to develop talent, whether it's with those later picks down the line. They're still going to have second-round picks, later first-round picks coming down the line in these next couple of years. With how packed the roster is, do you feel good about some of these guys who are probably years away from impacting being able to develop down in Maine strictly because there's really no minutes to be found on the Celtics roster now? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, for Kadeem Allen, one thing to remember is he's like 24. He's a very, he's an, he's, he's an older rookie. Yeah. Um, the, the one tape I've watched of him, well, specifically was when I was watching Mark Fultz when that was a thing for us. Yeah. For um, you especially. He play, yeah. He played, he played, uh, Marco Fultz probably the best that I've ever seen any guard in the Pac-12 play him. So he is someone that's known as a defensive person. Um, really, that's it. Um, his playmaking, his ball handling, shooting have all been quite questionable. And at his size, that's something that you need to do. Um, he kind of reminds me of Tony Allen a little bit, but it's like a very poor man's version of Tony Allen. Because uh, even Tony Allen, what, like, what's his rules? He's a very good cutter. He know he's a, an elite top-notch defender, and that's not something we can really anticipate from Kadeem Allen, um, hence his draft position. So I do think someone in the D-League, maybe if he's able to get some confidence, 
maybe if like a guy goes down or something and then all of a sudden like we need him that's probably the most likely like story for him to be actually become an nba player but right now for him i just see as someone as maybe just like a d-league project and maybe some other team uses him when they're like tanking at the end of the year G League, by the way, very important distinction. <laughs> G League, I apologize, NBA. Andrew, are you going to be going to Maine this year? Are you excited about the Red Claws? I'm definitely not catching a flight from Florida <laughs> to go to Maine. So, yeah, you're not going to catch me in Maine this year. But I, I do believe in the G League. I think that, you know, it, it's, I doubt that Kadeem Allen's ever going to be a, a Celtics roster player. But the good thing about that, outlet is that some team might need him and some team might pick him up so i think that's really good for for kadeem as a player i don't really see him like we have too many guys that can't well you know we used to have too many guys that can't shoot and are good defenders but i don't really see a role on him on this team or what we project to be for the next couple of years um unless you know we lost terry rozier which never happened yeah Um, (laughs) i would rather have jabari bird over over kadeem allen but it's good it's good because in past years, we've seen it. Guys like Bird, Allen, they don't make the roster. Now we get the two-way deals where they're able to hold on here, kind of make a mark, whether it's at the G League or the NBA level. So you do have those two extra spots now where you can have guys like these across all NBA rosters. I've said it for a couple of years now. There's too much basketball talent in this world, and there were too few spaces on NBA rosters for how much talent there is. Like Some guys just coming into this league overlooked – and need a chance to kind of develop, hone in on their talents, and then they explode. Like, there are a lot of guys in the league right now. C.J. McCollum, uh, Damian Lillard, went to small colleges, you know, didn't fall back as far as some of these guys. But sometimes guys get overlooked, whether it's going through the college application process or even the NBA draft process. Guys get overlooked all the time, and I'm glad guys are now finally going to have opportunities to stay here instead of going overseas Besides Jared Sollinger, he is going overseas. So. <laughs> we'll, yeah. we'll leave it off there. The good show, guys. Great show today. Welcome aboard, Andrew. It was good to get you on board here. And thanks, Alex, as always, who does a great job just breaking everything down. Heartbroken that Fultz isn't here, but he, he'll live with it. Fultz <laughs> or topic. Fultz or topic. <laughs> anyway, I'm, Bo- I'm Bobby Manning, Alex Kungu, Andrew Doxy, Celtics Blog, CLNS Media. Thanks to everybody. By the time next week's around, we're going to be looking at the season, which I am thrilled about. And that's it. Keep reading us at the site. We're going to keep an eye on that Marcus Morris trial Monday, see what his status is going to be going into the season. We really don't know yet at this point. It's going to be a two-week trial, it looks like. So we'll see what happens there, and we'll fill you in on that next episode with some special guests coming up. We have some very special guests coming up on this show. Not that these two aren't special, but anyway, we're out of here. Good night, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Subscribe on iTunes, by the way. Thanks for being with us through 10 episodes. We're on Stitcher. We're on the CLNS Mobile app as well. So thank you, everybody, for being with us. And we'll see you as the season begins next week. Reunion Arena in Dallas, where the Mavs and Lakers are playing tonight, was built in 1980. Now, you couldn't ask for a better facility. It's easily accessible, has all the comforts of a theater, and there isn't a bad seat in the house. But for some reason, there are those who prefer the Boston Garden, mostly those who wear Celtic green. What is so special about the Boston Garden, other than the fact that it's a 1,000 years old? Let's take a look.